it was 2009 we had done the states we had done south america in south america the guy i was traveling with he lost both his cards his bank cards to withdraw money so anyway what we were doing was he was transferring money from his australian bank account to my australian bank account and we were just withdrawing off the one card mm. uh, but we were in barcelona and it was uh august 17th the night of august 17th and i know that because the next day is my birthday and we decided to we were trying try to toss up do you spend your birthday like throughout the day and go out that night or do you go out the night before and then when it hits midnight you just make a big scene in the club hey it's my birthday yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it turned out that um we decided to go out the night before anyway we were out till five or six in the morning i think my mate might have i have a suspicion he might have spiked my drink with uh oh my drink was spiked with uh mdma that night <laughs> Uh, whether it was spiked by myself or him, I don't know. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Couple of Lattes. Uh, this is your host, Jacques Massey, and today I am super pumped to sit down with my good friend, Tavis Rogerson, uh, as we cover all things small. Essentially, what we're going to be talking about is how he is able to just find joy and happiness in the smallest of things day to day. How the simple act of waking up and greeting the day with breath and uh, being alive is enough for him to to continue on, to keep going, and to be happy, to be content, um, and to enjoy the day ahead. Uh, Tavis's ability to enjoy the small things and his ability to draw purpose from the simple act of gratitude and the simple act of contribution amazes me and I hope it will amaze you too. Mate, I swear to God, since I turned 30, technology is just, it's, it's surpassing me. Yeah, well, see, now you understand where I am at turning 37. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, hey, bro. Yeah, good. I actually woke up real rough this morning. I don't know why. I had a massive headache, so I tried to go for a bit of a walk and couldn't get rid of it. Went And I was going to go for a swim, but then I had a couple of glasses of this ridiculously um, green juice that mum swears by, and I felt better, but now I'm crashing again, so... Oh, I smashed another one. I don't want to get lethargic for a podcast about energetic and high, like high energy levels, you know? Well, the good news is I'm already recording, so probably just going to put that on. Nah, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been good, though. That would have been good. Yeah, I'm probably still going to do it. Are you recording now? I am actually generally recording. Yeah, cool. I think that was pretty cool because I was totally cool. <laughs> <laughs> Well played by you. Yeah, mate, got you. Anyway, bro, how are yep. you? Apart from adding a headache, how's your day? Yeah, it's good. Um, you know, a little late start. It's kind of they're all kind of rolling into one, really. And I know a lot of people are feeling like that at the moment, given the circumstances surrounding COVID. So. You know, you just got to keep yourself busy. Um, it was actually, I'm down the coast at the moment at Mum's and the, um, there was quite a, a nice sunshine. There was actually a really mental sunset last night. Did you yeah, see it in the city? You, you oh my gosh. 
The I'm sunset, the sunset was definitely cotton. better where you were than it was the city, but I still it went like, out. I it still was went like out. Cotton, cotton candy skies. Actually, real funny. I went down to the beach just to have a bit of like a just a chill, and I took the camera, and it was like there probably only would have been I uh, seriously like one or two knots of wind, like it was dead still. Mm. The the water was like a sheet of glass, and there were some really nice reflection shots. Yeah. And I was like, there was no one around, so I was just kind of taking shots. And anyway, I walked back to the house, dragged mum out of the lounge room so she could <laughs> take some shots with me. And <laughs> Um, and it didn't really work, but anyway, we kind of, we kind of, it was beautiful, and we and we walked back home, and we whacked on Lord of the Rings as we've been having our marathons lately. And, oh, uh, that's so cute! Yeah, uh, open fire like leather, many leather bound books and rich mahogany emits <laughs> in the apartment. But um, and I looked out the window, and it, it was all of a sudden it was crazy. It was like bright reds, pinks, purples, and I've just grabbed the camera, fanged back down there uh, to take some shots. And actually, it was pretty funny. Um, as I got down there, as soon as I clicked on, um, it said battery exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually the most classic Tav move out there. Yeah. And actually, yeah, yeah. They actually that, happens more time. that happens more times than I'd yeah. like to admit, for sure. <laughs> I understand. Actually, that actually segues nicely to um, when I actually first met you. Well, actually, the first time we met, you bought a jacket off me at Kathmandu, and it was shit, and you had to return it. But the first time we went out shooting photos together, I can't remember where we went, but I just remember you being, like, the biggest frother out there. And normally, (laughs) I I used to be, like, the one where I'd be like, holy shit, look at the sunset, look at the sunrise, and my mates would be like, oh, yeah, cool, cool. But then I was there, and I was the mate just like, holy fuck, and you're just running up and down. <laughs> Froth at the was that, was that, uh, look, it's funny, like, I'm sure we're going to touch on this later about the energy levels and, and that, but sometimes I often wonder, like, I get caught up in the moment, like you're discussing sunset, sunrises, those little things in life that are like, you know, really give you ultimate wholehearted happiness. But I often try and remember in the back of my mind, like, Sometimes people like to enjoy those things peacefully and just like <laughs> not as excitable. So if there's some idiot tattooed surfboat around fifteen year old teenager, like I've just got to remember to reel it in sometimes. You've just got to never go to a Cambodian monastery, mate, because the monks would fucking end you. Yeah, actually, that, I saw that they would be able to teach me many, many things that yeah. I probably need to be taught. But one of the downsides would be, yeah, me trying to, um, you know, not have those excitable shrieks of laughter when I, yeah. you know, when I don't get excited. But, um, but anyway, we're probably, am I jumping, we're jumping the gun. Yeah, of course we are. It's, this is what this podcast does, um, it jumps the gun, mate. But anyway, before we, before we jump too far ahead, obviously, yeah. I know who you are, and I yeah. love you to bits as a mate, and I'm glad that we yeah. met, even though it's been a short time, I'm sure there's going to be many yeah, more good me times. Too. me too. For anyone who doesn't know you, who's obviously listening to this podcast, who is who is Tav? Oh, sorry to interrupt the flow for a second there. Just got to pay the bills quickly, and we'll be right back to the show. All right, and back to our conversation with Tav. Oof, that's a complex question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> behind, uh, behind all the tattoos and the witty humour... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I'm glad that you called me at 1pm as per my request because I feel like that's the time when I am most funny. Who is Tav? Look, Tav, he's... When do we take it back to? Are we going to talk in third person? for the That wonderful, wonderful year of 1983. (laughs) Many things happened in 1983. Many iconic things. Uh, Did you know... Jenga was introduced for the first time ever. Uh, that's actually a true fact. I looked yeah. it up last night. To come and with the fact that 1983 also had uh, some crazy things happen. I think the first woman on the moon, 1983. Um, the first woman on the moon? Yeah. I don't even know a woman landed on the moon. Well, um, you can take that up with Wikipedia. A hundred and twenty-five million viewers in nineteen eighty-three tuned in to the last episode of Match. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think I'm getting off track here. I think the UK finally decided that in nineteen eighty-three, it was a good idea to put seatbelts in cars. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a great plan. So, you know those, you know those, uh, those English. They're a little two steps. They're a sandwich short of a picnic, essentially, aren't they? Really. <laughs> uh, but 1983 was actually iconic because I was born, yes. and uh, I grew up on. In, for people who were listening, in between Dad's house in Phillip Island, uh, in Victoria, which is like just sur- it's essentially an island full of surfing. That's all anyone talks about. It's all anyone kind of does. Um, and between my mum's house, which is in a small town just off Phillip Island called Inverloch, and it's essentially um, where the country like literally meets the ocean. Um, it's it's pretty slow paced, but it is beautiful. Mm. Um, so you know, I find it really enjoyable nowadays at my age. But when I was when I was growing up, um, there wasn't much happening. You know, you kind of you know we would surf. All, all we would do was surf. That's all we we kind of really wanted to do was surf um were you were you always uh, into uh boogie though because you obviously yeah yeah i think (laughs) i think so my dad who's 71 now and he still surfs he still sleeps in his van up the east coast of australia to go to go surfing like he (laughs) is the biggest surf lord (laughs) he pushed me into a few waves on surfboard um when i was younger maybe seven maybe uh start of the early 90s six or seven and i remember this one memory was i was surfing on a really windy day just in the shallows and uh and i and i went to stand up and i kind of fell off no big deal and i I popped up in the water and i couldn't find my surfboard i was like looking around like where is it and it felt like at least five or six seconds i was looking for it probably in reality i was only two or three but this wind, it was so windy that day, it had picked up the surfboard and I was looking around for it and it it was in the air and it just came down and cracked me on the head so hard. Like I was crying for probably, I don't know, like 45 minutes, Shit. like nonstop. And then like dad was like really sympathetic. It was just one of those things and I, I kind of surfed a little bit more and then I met friends when I was like 13 in school and they were bodyboarding or boogie boarding as we like to joke. Boogie boy. And I was just like, this is sick. Like, 
I'm gonna get a bodyboard. And actually, it turns out my mum, when she was dating my dad, used to bodyboard uh, at some of the local surf spots. So we had bodyboards in the garage. Yeah, there you go. So I just kind of went down that uh, path, the bodyboard path, and and 30 years later, it's still to dad's disdain. He's <laughs> like, bloody shark biscuits. You know? <laughs> so there was always this uh, rift between surfers and bodyboarders, you know. Yeah. Surfers will call bodyboarders shark biscuits or whatever, and we call surfers image sticks because they were only ever worried about their image. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's kind of like I guess growing up that's all all I wanted to do was, was surf really yeah right yeah and what about to the tab you are now like there's a pretty yeah, decent so, jump in between um, I guess school came around at some point and you know school was school <laughs> it was just like <laughs> You do it, but you, I wasn't really that psyched on it. I think um, I think I share I think I share the same kind of view as you when it comes to school. Like I sucked at school. I always got in trouble. Um, hated most of the teachers. Ended up leaving pretty early. I think Paolo did the same actually. Yeah, look, I, it's funny school. Like it's obviously imperative for learning, for growth, for relationships, for all of that. I think um, the one thing that. And don't ask me what the the answer to fixing this is, or if it needs to be fixed. But one one uh, aspect of it that I believe causes a lot of late teenagers and early adults a lot of pressure and issues is that there is that pressure to I guess after your first leg of schooling when you finish at about seventeen or eighteen to decide what it is that you want to do or what Western society kind of pushes you towards in terms of, uh, you know, an edu- uh, education or, or, you know, job and, and employment, what it is you want to be when you grow up. And it was something for me personally that was not a big issue because I was just like, I'm just going to surf all day. Like, <laughs> I don't care. But I see back then and I see even more now so the pressure that having to decide by you know, 17 or 18, what you want to be when you grow up. And that means like, so you can get a house, so you can support a family. It's a really early age to make that decision. Mm. Um, and then maybe it's not pressured by um, schools around the land to do it, but it is suggested. But people do develop that pressure on their shoulders. Oh, shit, I should know what it is that I want to do now. Mm. And I don't. What am I going to do? And it can create a lot of... Um, a lot of issues, a lot of anxiety, a lot of that. So, you know, especially in the world today when everyone's telling you what you should be and what you shouldn't be and that. Yeah. Um, did young I remember did, did yeah. young did young Tav listen to any of that or so how's this? One of the f- most fundamental pieces of information that my dad gave me and I actually uh, wrote a post about him for his birthday maybe a year ago and used this quote still to this day was that he, he often, not not super regularly, but often made it abundantly clear that it's not important or it's not the most important element to your life to um, know what you want to do at an early age. And he always went on to reiterate that even at his age, 65, now 70, whatever, he still doesn't know what he wants to do. You know, he's been a lead lighter, a bricklayer for 20 years. He... he um, he built houses. He's just a, a handyman, like a jack of all trades. And even we talk about it now, he, he's 
kind of just done his thing to get through life without having a huge title like a um you know an architect or or this or that and that really helped me growing up um not because i felt like it alleviated that pressure i was just talking about that kids feel when they leave school yeah so uh kudos to him yeah well done dad yeah i think that's pretty important what you touched on the whole schooling thing i won't even get started because yeah. Mate, that I think I be... saw you reading the other day. <laughs> I was like, that was five minutes of it. And I was like, yeah, next. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, I think what your dad said is pretty important because, especially nowadays, everyone's so flooded by like all these successful people or like perceived successful people, and they're like, oh, you know, they've got a purpose and they've got an aim and they've got goals. And sometimes just having a purpose might be waking up in the morning and doing something really fucking cool, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And those small things, man. They're, they're, uh, they, they're worth their weight in gold, really. Um, you know, that was kind of, for, for me, like, with that mentality that Dad kind of had. And I saw, like, in my eyes, he was, when he was saying these thing, this thing to me, or this specific thing, 60, 50, 70, whatever, I saw happiness in him mm. when he said it. Not just when he said it, but in general in his life. So then I see someone who's kind of like said, look, acknowledge that they maybe they didn't know exactly what they wanted to be in their life, but I still see him happy, like naturally happy. Then I was like, well, this this is not a bad piece of information to have. Mm. This is actually really thought provoking and and really it was really supportive. Mm. Like because then because all I did then after that was all right, surf all day, <laughs> get a hospitality job at night, and that's. <laughs> And that's what I did for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that's um, kind of carried you to where you are now. But in between that, you did a bunch of other random stuff, didn't you? Yeah, there was a few random things in there. I mean, I um, it, to break up the hospitality, um, well, actually, yeah, to break up the hospitality, I think I spent a couple of years um, touring with um, metal bands, like heavy <laughs> heavy music bands which was was funny how that came about um i guess i used to go to like punk shows and hardcore shows in melbourne and there's a good music scene there and i don't know it started from me just listening to music at home and then progressively i got into like heavier stuff and and the, the reason why i was i know that it's not um like a a household kind Every, of everyone's, genre of everyone's cup of tea it's not everyone's company, absolutely. I remember, um, I remember the first car ride I was in with you, and you put on me one, and I was like, holy shit, it's like four o'clock <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> hey, you're a Kiwi. One of my, my favourite first bands that I ever used to listen to was a band called Antagonist. They were from New Zealand, and they were a bunch of good blokes. But what, what attracted to me, what attracted me to this kind of music was it? A, first rather um, wholeheartedly the sound mm. but it was actually so, uh, something that because people listen to it and they go oh that's too heavy I don't want to listen to it they don't actually see this element but it's like a community in these shows of positivity and I know that sounds ironic because they're screaming but there's a lot of talk about awareness of the earth and, and western society and the greed of a lot of that, that element and you know, um, there's a lot of talk about um, 
supporting those loved ones, which is a community, you know, that happens in the community as well. There's a lot of talk about um, uh, animal cruelty and, and trying to do the right things by others and stuff like that. So I have that as a kind of natural persona. Mm-hmm. And I was living in Melbourne surrounded by quite a lot of projectionists and influencers and trying to, you know, the business suits and the corporates. And, and I found this kind of camaraderie in this community of people who, yes, they were dressing funny and they had black hair and red lipstick and whatever. And I was <laughs> in a pink metro shirt with bleach blonde hair surfing. <laughs> I was doing it like a soft thumb. But what I found was as soon as you entered whatever venue those bands were playing, any animosity, any differences, any um, change, like differences in beliefs or, or whatever, it was all left at that front door. Mm. And everyone that was in that venue listening to that music were just there for the music. And it was just this, it was such an energetic vibe. And I've always been really up and about and energetic. So I quite like acoustic music when I'm driving in the car. Mm. But if I go to an acoustic live gig, I'm sitting there and people have got their candles out and their iPhones swaying and I'm just kind of yawning like all I want to do is stage dive kind of thing. And really get <laughs> so this, I guess that's where the connection really uh, became strong in, in that scene. And then, yeah, like a, touching back on saying how I stood out like a sore thumb with surf white hair and metro clothes. <laughs> And it was, that's how I eventually someone came, <laughs> one of the, I think it, Michael Crafter, I used to front a band called I Killed the Prom Queen um, and a couple of other bands. And he actually went on Big Brother as well, but he was a bit of a, an iconic legend in the, in that music scene. He actually came up to me and started talking one time. Um, and then he ended up uh, offering, like asking me if I wanted to go on tour. And from that, I met other bands other friends of his who have bands, I think the Amity Affliction. Um, mm. I spent some time in Parkway Drive, uh, living with a drummer in Byron and touring with them for a couple of years. And yeah, that, that was kind of the only work I've really done outside of hospitality. But it was it was pretty interesting. Like when we were with smaller bands, you know, doing a rural tour in like Townsville or Queensland or something, all five of us would just sleep at one kid's house on his floor like, that went to the show and that he's messaging all his friends like, oh my God, the band's staying on my floor. And then we'd have like 15 sweaters at the front door in the morning just sitting there flicking their fringes. And, yeah, like, yeah. you know. and then I and then I and then I ended up finishing maybe an international tour with Parkway Drive and and Bring Me the Rise and we were living on buses and like touring all around the UK and England. So that That's it was insane. it was cool. It was really cool. But uh it's definitely would be very hard to sustain that if you weren't a successful band and if you weren't just the band members like the roadies the people that were for them you know there's unless you're super successful the travel the cost and all of that it doesn't really outweigh what you probably earn so it's more about the experience yeah and that was yeah it was good yeah actually that's uh you kind of got me thinking then after we chatted yesterday I was thinking about like how we wanted to make the idea of this podcast focusing on the small things, which it still is. But I was kind of thinking like, why is Tav so able to just enjoy the small moments in life and see the things that a lot of people just kind of pass by and have their head focused on things that distract them and the stresses of everyday life? 
And what I came to realize is there's two things that I've noticed about you straight away. One was you have this ridiculous charisma. People are just attracted to you. I remember being in, I think it was Wanaka, and we were in a bar having a couple of drinks after spending days on the road with two to four hours sleep a night, looking like shit, feeling like shit. And we smelled good. And we smelled terrible. <laughs> and there you are at the bar chatting up the girl behind the bar. And well, she loved it. I was it. actually going to argue that you're saying I've got this natural, great charisma. I'm asking that potentially, can you tell me where it's located? Because I haven't had a girlfriend in like four years. <laughs> <laughs> Some of that charisma to shine to the female race. Yeah. Um, but then yeah, that... no, I remember, <laughs> remember that. What was uh, what was the second thing? Yeah. Well, the the second one was just your ability to live in the moment. So I think those two things together is something that I've noticed about you pretty much since we first met. Like, wow, this guy's, like, super charismatic. Like, people love hanging out with him. And the reason they love hanging out with him is because he's just in the moment. Like, you're just enjoying it. You know, like, we'll go out for a photo shoot and you'll just be, like, the first one out the car sprinting towards, like, a, a freaking flower that has a ray of sunlight on you. Like, look at this shit! <laughs> uh, well, firstly, I appreciate you saying that. That means a lot. Um, I think that that instance you're talking about in Wanaka after us smelling like we haven't showered in four days and, <laughs> and all the backpacking and that was that. I guess the ha- the happiness and the charismatic element must would have come out in that instance from the fact that I had spent a few days on the road with you guys. We'd really strengthened the friendship. Hmm. We had great, um, you know, common interest the the trip itself like that was my first international photography trip um like focused solely on photography Mm. and new zealand for my first time that was on the radar for ages and it was just stunning and so all these things combined and that was the end of the trip and i I was just in this euphoric kind of frame of mind where i was just super super happy Mm. um so yeah like yeah that's probably where it where it came from, I reckon. And also, you have a couple of new blokes and you have a couple of beers. And <laughs> um, there's a bit of banter, a little bit of pressure there. Banter's good. Banter's healthy. So. Yeah. But then, um, uh, I guess that ability to like be in the moment and to be so charismatic and to just like switch on and be like, all right, I'm in this like amazing place. Holy shit. Not a lot of people can do that. Like a lot of people, even when they go on holiday, they're more stressed than when they go back to work. So... Yeah, I guess I, I see it a lot like I you know owning a restaurant in the in the concrete jungle of Melbourne mm. like I see it a lot um you asked me how it all came about or or what I, I'm not too sure it, it potentially it came from you know when I was younger and heaps of people have this the Peter Pan syndrome you know they never want to grow up the yeah. I just want to have fun um kind of persona I guess uh, essentially, it, you know, it probably came came from that kind of element. My dad is often referred to um, by my friends as like, oh, they're shocked that he's seventy one. You know, a he looks fifty, a tan surf guy. B he does not act seventy. What the <laughs> And the other, actually, the other day, and this is to prove that point that I just made. My friends were down Phillip Island and they were surfing, and they bumped into my dad at the shops. And they're like, oh, Tapster, Dave, what's going on? And I, I wasn't there. I was working in Melbourne. 
like, hey, buddy, how are you? What's a surf like? Chit chat, chit chat. And they go, oh, hey, do something funny. We're going to send it to Tav. This is in the middle of a car park of a shopping lot. He drops his dax, bends over, and moons them. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, I'm at work, and I get this text message, and I can't make out who it is because it's like two white cheeks and a brown eye. <laughs> parked cars. And I'm just like, come on. And then I could tell by the wetsuit tan line, like the white cheeks, but then super brown, skinny chicken legs, that it was my dad. And I was like, oh, my God. So I don't know, a little bit of the Peter Pan syndrome, a little bit of immaturity, a little bit of like wanting to live young and always be kind of not taking life too seriously, I guess is probably where that all derives from. I guess then, like, what motivates you to kind of keep going like that? Because some people, like, obviously you have your good days and your bad days, but in general you're the kind of person who, like, tries to appreciate at least, you know, something small each day. That's what I make of you anyway. Like, what's your motivation to keep doing that? Yeah, when when I was younger, uh, motivation to keep going, motivation to be happy. I didn't need like um, a certain thing to keep me motivated. I was young and I was super, super happy. Mm. So every day was just like, oh, like waking up was just kind of like, you know those days, you obviously have days where you wake up and it's, they're better days. It could be um, because something's on. You might have like catching up with a friend that you you haven't seen in ages who makes mm. you really happy. Um, it could be just naturally. Um, and I had a lot of them in the early to late 20s or just every day I wake up and I'm just like, oh, I'm st- like I was stoked. I was so, I guess originally it was, there wasn't one thing that kind of kept me motivated. Um, I was just happy being alive really. And and, that, and um, recently there's been some hardships, you know, prior to Corona, I was not in the happiest place because I feel my life changing. I've done hospitality for 19 straight years now. That's yeah. bloody crazy. Anyone in hospitality will know that that's, you know, that takes a lot of patience because you're in a demanding industry, not just from customers and that, but the longevity of hours, the minimal bonuses. The It's it's a hard industry to be in. So I, I was noticing since picking up a camera, even though I've travelled the world for many, many years, you know, South America's, Central and North America's, Europe's, Scandinavia, Baltics. Mm. Um, since I picked up a camera, spent time with you, seeing how the photography world works, traveling, taking photos, the wholehearted happiness I get from that far outweighs what I have been feeling in the last couple of years being in the hospitality. So I can feel that my life is changing and my career path is changing, but I'm locked into a, a contract at the moment owning a restaurant. So that's been a bit of a struggle. Mm. To be patient for the next couple of years until things can change. Mm. COVID's obviously a struggle for everyone, not just me. So I'm not going to preach on about that, but that's provided its challenges. Mm. Um, so currently speaking, there's been more of a roller coaster of emotions. Um, so what's motivating me right now is to keep my eye on that photography goal, you know, doing things every day, a little little things, 
um, towards the photography goal, you know, setting up a bit more of your website, you know, doing a bit more of this, a bit more of that, and just keeping me motivated to get through this next period of time until I can launch into more shrieks of 16-year-old teenager joy of top of mountain and just being that energetic person that I was um, wholeheartedly prior to, you know, the last couple of years. Yeah, right. So I guess, like, your long-term goal now is to get out of hospitality, really, and to go into something you'd enjoy more. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Um, Get out. I mean, yeah, that's the correct term. It's not like... I just think it's one chapter closing and another chapter opening now. Mm. Um, And unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but in the past when I've decided that a chapter's closing and a new one's about to open, I've been in a position to just drop what I'm doing. Well, not drop what I'm doing, but, okay, acknowledge that one chapter's closing, make the right decisions, and then move on to the new chapter. So there's never been anything to hold me back from doing that. Mm. But now, you know, owning a restaurant and stuff um, and being in the midst of this pandemic, it's uh, it's definitely weighing me down a bit. But, you know, everyone's dealing with things in, in the midst of this COVID-19, which is just once-in-a-lifetime thing. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty crazy. So with things like that, like it's even more important now to focus on the, on the little things to keep me motivated, you know. Mm. Um, sunrises, sunsets, probably more sunsets because I love sleeping. <laughs> um, stargazing, you know, like, like getting around some friends at a social distancing space yeah. <laughs> and having, you know, laughing until your whole face hurts, you know, could be watching a comedy, could be whatever. Those, those things, I, I've always been big on um, those types of things. And, and also, if we're touching on... Um, the the little things in life I think um, making others happy has always been something that I've really really enjoyed and not for like anything in return which is I think a real key factor I think yeah. there are people out there that often do things for other people to make them happy almost with an underlying expectation of something in return mm. and I that's not me I like um I feel like I'm pretty attentive, like, um, and say if I see a friend that might be having a bad day, um, immediately in my mind thinks, okay, what can you do? Small things mm. um, to be able to brighten their day up. And it can be the same with customers at work. It could be opening the door for them. Like we have a lady who often comes with a pram, but it's a double pram. She can't push the pram and open the door. So mm. we see her. Now staff are instructed to you know, open the door, you know, help them with food, help them with their takeaway coffees, those little things. Like I think um, that type of gratitude, it can really, um, I guess, it can really turn someone's day around. You can never underestimate the power of small acts of kindness, I don't think. Yeah, and I think to summarise, like everything you just said then, and the ideas that I got out of it was one, you have this ridiculous... What are you doing, mate? You're just posing on the camera. I'm getting old. I need to stretch from time. Yeah. But anyway. Are you summarising and I've got a question for you? Yeah, yeah. Just your your ability to be grateful for just the most basic shit in life is inspiring, to say the least. And then, like, what you 
uh, touched on there the idea of contribution I think that's something that a lot of people just don't tend to understand is that just the simple act of kindness of giving of helping someone really fucking it makes you happy and it's it's not even it's not even like a you know a philosophical point of view anymore scientifically speaking the chemicals they release in your brain when you act kindly towards someone when you just give without any sort of expectation is huge like it, it's equivalent to having an orgasm yeah well it's funny that you mentioned that because when you're talking about that i was in my mind agreeing with you thinking yeah it makes me feel really good when i do stuff like that like my dick gets hard <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> i was like is he gonna say that he's gonna say it you just said that, and it's just like, well, I've got to say this now. Like, yeah. it's probably too hard-rated. This is the perfect segue. Orgasm, so I'm just going to roll with it, eh? Don't worry, mate. I put it explicit on this. So if people let their kids listen to this, it's their own bloody fault. Yeah, that's true. How, um, am I, how, how, do we sound on, how am I sounding on this? Because I've got a, like a full-on, thick surf bogan accent, and there was a fleeting moment where I thought I was just going to do this podcast entirely in an English posh English accent. <laughs> nah, man. <laughs> this sound better. Ew, Chuck's darling. What you know? Get your tea on for two. I'll have the English breakfast for me and the queen. <laughs> I think no, you should no. I think you should stay bogan, bro. It suits you more. Okay. Well. It's it cool, scares cool, me a little cool. bit. And you sound you sound a bit like a chick actually. But yeah. Nah, man, that, that idea of gratitude and that idea of giving is something huge. A lot of people have this idea that it's going to be a transaction, though, right? Like, you, a lot of people go in there and they'll give something with this huge expectation that something's going to come back and they're just going to get disappointed, you know? Like, why not just give? Because, yeah. That you is a perfect, perfect terminology. Um, I don't think... Um, sometimes it's people do rack, um, random acts of kindness... And then down the track, they'll say, hey, I did this for you. Um, sometimes people have that ulterior of, of a transaction. But really, like, and I, I'm not trying to blow my own horn here at all. I see other people doing um, acts of kindness. And I, like, I see staff that I work with, friends, family, um, friends, um, you know, parents and stuff like that. And it, it, it's definitely prevalent in society. And, and I really love it. It's mm. great. Uh, gives you a great feeling like you were discussing there's definitely some people, some instances where it's not the case but yeah um, it, you know have those little things for you personally could be having you know not, uh, your coffee in the morning is like one of the best coffees you've had and it just sets your whole day on, on a, a positive course um, actually I had a great coffee the other day that set my day up I was from this cafe called the Lucky Benny on Chapels <laughs> <laughs> Just a shameless plug. <laughs> for any for anyone listening, the restaurant that Tab owns is called the Lucky Penny. This is not a sponsored podcast. He isn't paying me anything. Just for but he, listeners out there, that's actually my restaurant. I'm just being a goose. No, but seriously, the coffee at the Lucky Penny is fantastic, and uh, the service, although a little bit bogan, is uh, top notch. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for saying that. I'm no sure. worries. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway, look, 
on that topic, we'll finish and we'll move on because I've got some epic travel stories about things, about focusing on small things. But essentially, with those random acts of kindness, those small things, I read something the other day that really um, sunk in with me. It was a bumper sticker. Essentially said that people in time will forget what you said. Mm. Sometimes I'll even forget what you do. But people will never forget how you made them feel. Mm. And I thought that was pretty cool. That is actually a fantastic quote. Mate, you're struggling not to laugh, even though you're being serious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be a little bit serious yeah, because yeah. I actually did really like that. Mm. Um, but yeah, and I know it wasn't on a bumper sticker. It was in a fortune cookie. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that I'm kind of hoping that a lot of people listening to this right now are feeling pretty damn good. So I think they're going to remember the lucky penny on Chapel Street. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, like we kind of touched on it before. Obviously, with this, you know, small change in 2020 of a global pandemic, which is yeah. not so small a change and affecting everyone. There's times when it's really really hard to see the small things and be happy um, because your situation is for lack of a better uh, series of words fucked <laughs> so yeah, one, one, of the, one of the things we talked about before you wanted to mention some of the travel stories you had um, yeah. I think some of which will give people a little bit of uh, uh, guidance on how to react to situations that are a little bit shit <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, it's funny. Uh, that's you make a really good point. I've had quite a few, uh, let's say, incidents or altercations or things that have happened while I've been traveling abroad. That, um, although at the time I probably didn't think I had really anything to do with um, being able to focus on what's important, little things or big things, and kind of leave those material things or things that have happened. Um, to you like how to just kind of control the emotions surrounding it but in hindsight now I think that um, some of the incidents that happened while I was abroad on my own independent and not in your comfort zone actually really did help uh, me in being able to if I was to face um, something similar down the track and well, most of these stories about me being robbed and they happen quite a few times. So I did. <laughs> um, it actually helped me big time in being able to identify, okay, what's important, what's not important, how to act. Um, and it, I guess one of the first major trips I did was 2009 and it was six months. It was three months. It was two months in South America, mm. one month in the States three months in Europe um, and along the way like this was the first major international trip I'd done I'd done surf trips to like Samoa or Fiji uh, with family and, and surfing in Indonesia with dad and stuff but this big trip you know traveling through countries that um, English isn't their um, first language um, you know completely different cultures like I was straight away I was enthralled I, I was just like blown away I was so interested in 
the world uh, and what else is out there um, that I was just like my blinkers for hazards or any dangerous environments were not on. I was just full throttle. Oh, Mexico slums. Uh, 11 p.m. at midnight or dark night. Oh, just straight down the back. Oh, like, yeah, sure. Like, I didn't even like. My mind was just. I was just. My eyes were just completely open, and I was just. Well, not sorry. Not so much. I was just completely like blown away, and I just wanted to to see everything and be involved in everything, and it got me in a fair bit of trouble in that trip, actually, multiple times. Yeah. Right. Um, Where did you encounter um, the most trouble, actually? Because obviously you're in uh, plenty of different places in South America. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple. I'll keep them short um, because there's uh, there's probably 10 to 15 stories of theft, burglary, um, <laughs> all drugs, police, like the whole thing. And my mum there, so i got to shut the door. Hang on one second. <laughs> Um, no, I think the, the first one, the first one, and it's kind of pretty funny for those viewers at home listening, is that it was 2009. We had done the States. We had done South America. In South America, the guy I was traveling with, he lost both his cards, his bank cards, to withdraw money. So anyway, what we were doing was he was transferring money from his Australian bank account to my Australian bank account, and we were just withdrawing off the one card. Mm. Uh, but we were in Barcelona, and it was... Uh, August 17th, the night of August 17th, and I know that because the next day is my birthday. And we decided to, we were try, trying to toss up, do you spend your birthday like throughout the day and go out that night or do you go out the night before and then when it hits midnight, you just make a big scene in the club, hey, it's my birthday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it turned out that um, we decided to go out the night before. Anyway, we were out till five or six in the morning. I think my mate might have, I have a suspicion he might have spiked my drink with, uh, or oh, my drink was spiked with uh, MDMA that night. <laughs> um, whether it was spiked by myself or him, I don't know. <laughs> but um, anyway, we got out of the club and I was tired by six. Like we were trying to get back to our hostel and we were chatting to people in the streets as you do when you think you look really good, but you actually look like a grotesque animal. Yeah. And um, I ended up laying down on a park bench for a little bit. I was so tired. Only probably like 10 minutes, but I got up and people were pointing and like yada yada and I realised that my back pocket had felt a little lighter than it did when I went to sleep on the park bench at 6 in the morning <laughs> on Las Robles. And uh, sure enough, my wallet had been stolen on my birthday. Um, now, this was the first major kind of thing. <laughs> this, was in, this was in Barcelona, right? Yeah, it's Barca. Barca, I've been to three times and I've been robbed three times. Yeah. That is not a joke. Yeah. That's no joke. But I would not say that'd be the only bad thing I'd say about Barcelona. I think Barcelona is incredible. The city, the structures, yeah. Um, yeah, it's super busy and it can be pretty dangerous. But the, the people, Spanish people, I really like Spanish people. Yeah. The gypsies, not so much. But um, <laughs> <laughs> funny, funny, anyway. funny story actually. Paolo and I were, uh, for some of our childhood, partly raised by gypsies because my mum yeah, needed help. Well, you guys- you guys turned out alright, so. <laughs> but um, but this wallet theft was probably like one of the first big hurdles I faced in travel. Mm. Um, out of my comfort zone, not with family or 
yada yada you know it's it's uh, it was a challenge you know going to the police station to report it speak trying to speak in broken spanish but the stressing element was i guess it was my birthday the guy i was traveling with had no bank cards to get any money out i then have no wallet no bank cards to get any money out we haven't got any reserve cash back at the hostel so we did my whole birthday with no food no drinks and no ability to do anything other than things that are free like walk to the beach and that we were starving man like it was and like <laughs> i was on the phone for western transfer trying to get western union trying to get a transfer but it was going to take 20 plus hours i spoke to mum on the phone she was stressing out hard um but if we want to revert to small acts of kindness we were sitting down at 6 p.m. in the hostel with like our head in our hands, starving, going, we've got to just ask someone if we can borrow some money or speak to the hostel. Actually, um, the hostel kind of knew because I borrowed their phone and I think they were listening to what was happening. But we're sitting around at 6, it's almost dinner time. I am starving. Mm. Uh, um, I was probably coming down pretty hard. I think there might have been a tear or two to stroll down my cheek. <laughs> It was quickly switched around because the hostel, one of the guys that worked there, he had been telling other people that were living, staying at the hostel that it was my birthday and they had made a small cake, a bit of icing and put a candle in it and the whole hostel sung happy birthday to me, um, and which, was, which was just incredible. And we thought that was just such a wonderful act of kindness and then they pulled out two tickets to the soccer game that night was Barcelona versus Manchester City at the Barcelona Camp Nou or Camp Nou. Uh, and there was 70,000 people there and we went and watched the soccer game. And it was just, I don't know, that there's been other moments along the way and then my persona naturally is to be kind and stuff like that. But that there was like, I look back at that and I go, that was something that someone did to someone that they didn't know, for someone that they didn't know. Um, and it just changed, it changed everything. Yeah. It, it changed that, that night, my birthday. I still think that was one of the best birthdays ever, like definitely <laughs> the most eventful. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, I just, I just thought that was a real like, not turning point, but I, I'll always remember that. It was good. Yeah. Do you think they're kind of, not to say you weren't already someone who was offering random acts of kindness before, but do you think that kind of solidified in your mind? Like, yeah, this is the kind of person I want to be. I want to be someone who, who gives and someone who helps. And Yeah, if it hadn't already been in my persona, like you said, mm. or after things like that and future travel stories where I was not in a position to, you know, buy food or do this or do that mm. when people come to your aid I guess essentially it, it definitely of like well that's if I'm in if the shoe was on the other foot mm. I would like to think and I want to make sure that if it was me that was in that position to help someone that I did do it mm. um, I, th I think the so, other thing that's really fascinating about that story is the fact that you had literally nothing and you hadn't eaten all day and all you had was a, a cute little birthday cake most people wouldn't actually go to a game. They'd be shitting themselves, thinking, how the hell am I going to get home? And you just yeah, went to... <laughs> coming, coming down on MDMA. Coming down from MDMA. You just get over again. Maybe all the party made my stomach shrink or something. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, Barca. 
Barcelona is an incredible place. Mm. Barcelona's got me three times, actually. The, the, the other time, I won't tell all of them, but the, the biggest one was Barcelona again in 2011. Was, we were doing Europe uh, for three and a half months, but I had actually just been on a tour with Parkway Drive in the UK. We touched on it earlier. Mm. And I actually bought a Toyota Tarago seven-seater van, tinted windows, um, and I bought it in London, which was really tricky. You have to have like a social security number. You have to have a home address where all you. Mm. So I actually had to find someone that I knew was happy to put their name to this car and I paid for it. And then when I came back to Australia after tour, I was ready to take off three weeks later to Europe with my friends who I'd just been belligerently describing how good travel is for the last two years and they missed out on that first trip. So they're like, yeah, we're on. So we actually went back over, picked up the car and we drove around Europe for four months um, just in wheels, which was which was different, which was sick because mm. that first trip for me for six months was just aeroplane city to city. So you mm. miss those incredible places in between, you know, the small towns like you would know in Rio or outside of Rio, the, you know, those small off the beaten paths, mm. you know, we were going Buenos Aires then we go Santiago, then we go Rio de Janeiro, then we go, like, we'd never go to, like, so with a car, you know, you're driving, you see something cool or whatever, like, you can just pull over, man. I remember we were driving through Austria and we saw in a Lonely Planet book what is described as the world's biggest parmigiana, chicken parmigiana. <laughs> so we were like, we're not even going through Bratislava to Austria and Slovakia, we're just going to, we're just going to beeline for this parma. We sat down this thing was like, I'm not shitting it, would it be five inches high? It had bacon, cheese, jalapeno, and salami stuffing in it, and then it like the chicken that was in the chicken, deep fried, and then it had the Napoli ham cheese on top of it. Man, I've got some I've got some serious fucking photos that are just out of control. Anyway, so we ended up in Barcelona and we parked the car and the boys are like, Can't park in the city, it's parking meters we'll just park a little bit out of the city and we'll walk in and get the bus in i was like oh, i don't know if that's real safe leaving the car outside the city overnight like i you know i've got some bad i've had some bad juju in barcelona <laughs> no, no, cool. we'll just take all our luggage i'm like i'm not luggage i'm not taking all my luggage for one we're i think we're only in Barcelona for one or two nights so i'm not taking all my luggage all the way into the city for one or two nights like i'll just leave it in the car and they're like yeah sweet I grabbed obviously my camera, my laptop, my passport and that, and, and an overnight backpack essentially. But sure enough, we come back to the car and the whole thing's been smashed the fuck in. Like it's completely obliterated, all the windows done. Um, and of course, like as soon as I saw that, I knew they didn't just smash the exterior and not have a look what was inside. Yeah. And essentially, for four months, my luggage, my one big bag of luggage, we had four months of clothes worth, all my favorite clothes. Not that that's a very important thing because it is material. <laughs> all my favorite things, all the clothes gone. Now, the funny part about this story is that the boys were wigging out, yeah. but I was quite calm. I was just laughing. And it was kind of a little bit end from when I from that last time I got robbed and you just kind of know how to handle it. But the funniest part about this story, undoubtedly, and we didn't realise this till after the trip and we were looking back over the photos, but for the next two weeks of destinations, and it went 
Barca to the French Riviera to Italy. Then we flew to the Greek islands. In every single photo, I'm wearing the same clothing <laughs> because this one I only had on my body when I got robbed. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, oh dude, so that, that's, that's hilarious. Every time I look at photos from the Greek islands or Italy in um, 2011, I'm wearing the same blue shorts and the same near Pasadena orange singlet in every photo. <laughs> I guess, I oh. guess in both those two examples, for someone who's listening to this like horrified and thinking, fuck, I would have gone straight home. What was yeah. it that made you just go, well, fuck, it's happened. Like, let's just get on with it. Let's go check out this amazing football game or screw it. I'll just yeah. smell like shit and travel around the rest of Europe and take photos in the same gear <laughs> I think the first one the wallet thing once I ascertained and understood that um, you can transfer money by Western Union so I'd only be out of sorts for a little bit it, that was only a small thing people get their wallets stolen a lot people leave their wallets places and then you have to ring up and change your cards and mm. you know that, that was a small thing and it was a, a, it was a hurdle it was a challenge but it was easy to get over and then I realized that it didn't really make that much of a difference. Mm. So when the, the, there were other ones in between that Barcelona 2009 and the Barcelona of 2011, um, there was a laptop out of, out of, I was asleep on a bus in Peru, traveling from Peru to Guajajino, I think. And I had the back, backpack above me in the, the locker part, like directly above me. And I was just kind of keeping in the, thing and a dude went in opened my laptop uh, opened my bag took the laptop out and then he got off at the next bus stop um Damn. and i saw him run off but i didn't think it was related to me like i kind of came to when he, i could hear, hear the footsteps running i was like oh, is, that, is that dude running off the bus did he leave like the lasagna in the oven or something <laughs> <laughs> and then and then sure enough i put two and two together like once i got to the hostel and realized i didn't have a laptop but so there was that one there's, there's other ones there's heaps um, there's heaps actually I shouldn't really say that but the one in in Barcelona when the luggage went I guess just by that stage I realised that the importance it's really important I guess what you decide to focus on mm. you I know people that that would have happened to and they would have focused on that to the point where it would have ruined the next three weeks of their holiday Mm. Um, I've just chosen to try and identify that that's not uh, an option that you might do and then to not do it. So like, yes, this could, yes, my favorite jacket, yes, my my luggage, yes, whatever has been stolen. Mm. Um, shall I A, let it affect this time that I'm having with my good friends and I'm about to see the French Riviera, I've never seen it. I'm really looking forward to Croatia. So do I let it affect those next two weeks? Or do I just laugh at we, or I just think about down the track that this is going to be something that I laugh about? I never thought about down the track. I'd be talking about it on the fucking open podcast. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and yeah, and so I guess a lot of times people say that for whatever it is that you learn, you have to go through certain things to get to that point. Mm. And I guess I just donated enough of my. Uh, materialistic possessions to the community of Barcelona and now learn. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to think about it. You're just donating, you're giving, right? Without knowing you're giving. I think gypsies are probably in a worse position than I am. So if they need a new Nina and Pasadena denim jacket, then uh, <laughs> they need it more than I do. <laughs> I, th 
think uh, you touched on a fantastic point just then uh, in regards to like how you focus your mind um, mm. instead of because it's so hard nowadays like people love negative media man they just love frothing over negative shit they love jumping yeah. on social media and just ripping some poor person a new one because they don't agree with yeah, what they yeah. say. Keyboard, we like to call them keyboard warriors. Keyboard warriors, yeah. Just people froth on negativity. And I think that's yeah. the thing that set you apart and was that you've been able to get through uh, probably more crises than the average person. Yeah, well, that <laughs> was like three stories. I reckon I've got about 20 to be honest. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I remember when we were in New Zealand and you were driving behind us. Like, fuck, Tab is weaving all over the place. And sure enough, you almost fell asleep in the fucking car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that was silly. And I actually, I've often thought about that. And I have a big shout out to you guys and also to mm. Shannon for, um, he actually was flicking his lights, I think, yeah. real hard, like behind me. And he ended up driving for me. Yeah. I actually think I was just trying to choose music. Uh, <laughs> I think... I think I was on Spotify and I was trying to get it off like Taylor Swift or something like that because it was just <laughs> horrific. And then, you mean like, you were trying yeah, to put then, it on Taylor Swift, mate? Don't even like yeah. that. But uh, but yeah, I guess it. Anything in life comes down to um, what you choose to focus your time and energy on. Mm. Um, I know a lot of people that focus on positive. I know a lot of people that. Uh, don't want to focus on negative, but it is what first pops up in their mind. Mm. Uh, you know, you can, with that element, like it's a little bit of the human psyche as well can be like that. You know, you, if you come home and uh, your front door's open when, you know, you locked it and you walk to your kitchen and your chairs are being pushed over and or whatever the scenario is, your mind often jumps to the worst possible scenario, the most negative, shit, someone's broken in, shit, do you know what I mean? Um, so I guess it, it can be hard to not think in that kind of, that way. Um, yeah. It just takes a bit of practice to kind of shift the focus immediately. Or maybe you identify the situation and go, okay, here's the possible scenarios. I could A, focus on this negativity element or B, I can look forward to this next part of the trip with my friends and mm. if I'm wearing the same shitty singlet and the same shitty shorts, <laughs> then that's it, you know? Like it. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, it's pretty amazing. I think uh, it's quite normal to focus on the negative first and that's kind of part of the prehistoric brain. We're always kind of aware of danger and problems. But your ability yeah. to then flood your mind with just positivity, I think, is what yeah. gets you onto, like, you know, instead of flooding it with negativity, you go, there's, like, a switch in you, and you're just like, fuck it, I'm going to go watch the soccer game, like, I'm going to go enjoy yeah. the rest of this come down from this MDMA cat, like, <laughs> Kids, if you're listening to this, don't do drugs. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, bro, I think we yes. could probably share millions more stories by the sounds of it. Yeah. You can set that up on another podcast yeah, if you want. I think so. It's pretty fun, right? It's just a conversation. The worst, the worst travel stories known to man, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> man, I've got a ripper for you, which I'll save. It's on my birthday in Budapest. And essentially what happened to us, um, we actually were like, fuck, I can't believe that happened. I came home two months later. I was watching a TV show called Scam City. And that <laughs> happened on Scam City. And then they go and describe how it works. So I'll save, I'll save that on fire. <laughs> You're going to keep people wanting. But anyway, before you go, I wanted yes. to ask a question for people listening. So, yes. 
let's describe them as the grumpy fucker who's sitting there at home feeling uh, sorry for themselves, feeling a bit down, feeling negative, which call them a grumpy fucker, but it's okay. It's pretty normal. Like, the shit Who's the grumpy fucker here? What? You? You brother. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you, caught, you got me. You got me red-handed. Yeah, You're saying hypothetically. Hypothetical. Yeah. This is a hypothetical yeah. person. All right, it's me, mate. You got me. But what <laughs> what advice would you give? Uh, what what would be the if you had if you could give him one piece of advice? What would it be? You know, somebody who's stuck one. in that negative frame of mind who can't see the it, little things. It's a hard one because sometimes you'll be dealing with people that will be in that frame of mind, but want to get themselves out of it mm. and then you're dealing sometimes with people that are in that frame of mind but they want to stay stuck in it and i don't think that there's that much that i could say to those that are stuck in the negative mind frame mm. that would make them change i'm not a um you know, i'm not the smartest person nor am i um someone that probably people often listen to so you know i could i could say <laughs> <laughs> I don't offer passages of wisdom and, and that, but if if you wanna if you're in a negative mind space, uh, but you, that's not the norm for you, it's something that you want to change. What works for me a lot is apart from all the little things that we we uh, we've spoken about in this podcast, you know, the, the random acts of kindness, the opening doors for people, the those types of things. Plus, for me personally, like the small things, the sunrises, the sunsets, they, they absolutely help. But just in this life, which is really, really short, mm. I know sometimes it doesn't feel like it's short, but it really is. You have to do what makes you happy. And I know that sounds cliche, but what a lot of people struggle with that element is that often what makes you happy doesn't bring in enough money for you to have the house and the land and then whatever Western society has, has kind of told us to, that we need to strive for. But if you ultimately want to have this positive vibe, attract positive people around you, mm. it all boils down to you doing what makes you happy. Um, it, and it's the reason why I've been struggling a little bit in these last couple of years. Um, because my careers or have or my mindset has changed from what I want to do in my career, but I'm not able to make that change just yet. So, but what I see in the photography thing is wholehearted happiness, and that's what I'm striving to bet to do. And man, this this photography thing, there's a lot of photographers out there. There's a, it's a saturated market. Uh, in terms of social media wise you know there's always photography work weddings jobs houses you know there's always a lot of work available for photographers but for me personally I don't think that it's going to make me that much money at least in the first couple of years mm. but I still have to do it and it's because I think that the main part of life in such a short time that we have in this world mm. is that it has to be spent wholeheartedly being happy and that for me personally I think is what's going to make me happy I think that's the wisest thing I've ever heard you say it's definitely the wisest thing and I did it on a whim too (laughs) (laughs) it came out of my mouth like that because it's the actual honest truth that's what I often I often think about that you know I've seen people I've got a loved one very close to me a sibling um, and 
they used to make a, a mint a crust, a really good job uh, web designing and programming. But that wasn't their passion. Their passion was music. Mm. And and they are fantastic musicians. They picked up a guitar did, because on the proviso that the guitarist they had in their band wasn't that good. So he, they, he, oh, I'll give it away. But picked up a guitar and taught himself how to play guitar and he was exceptional in four months. Then it went to the drums and it was the same. And, and I can see when he's playing music that, that everything just, it doesn't matter. He's mm. just wholeheartedly happy. So he had a real tough time with that wrestling. The, okay, well, I have a mortgage. How is me playing music when I'm not traditionally probably a musician in terms of a great singing voice and stuff going to make me money to pay my mortgage, whereas this is a job that does, but I really dislike it. I think, again, I know it's cliche, but it, it was just too short a time to be on this earth to be doing things that you don't enjoy doing um, and I essentially I guess that's one of the main things I stand by um, that and pizza I think we're probably going to leave it there because that's probably the best message to finish on yeah. is there anything else you want to say before I, before I cut the mic no I think I appreciate you asking I think essentially just the last thing I want to say about that happiness thing and, and is that for me personally, and I can only speak on personal value, like I can't tell people out there how they, you know, to act and, and out in, you know, live their lives. But for me personally, thinking about everything that we've spoken about, I think that there's one fundamental thing I haven't mentioned to you, and not mentioned to anyone really, that really drives me to live my life as we have discussed and it's that I, it is that short amount of time on the earth that I really want to live pretty much every day like as best as possible so that and not just like go to work wake up go home go to work go and be happy but like I really want to see all the corners of the earth I want to experience all the cultures I want to be sitting on a deck when I'm 75 this is my point and I want to look back at my life and I want to say I did, like I was true to myself and I did so many things that made me so happy, literally so I could just sit there on the porch rocking and just thinking about them for the end of my days. And I think that that'll be the only way I get to the end of this, my life personally, and be wholeheartedly happy. If, I've, if I get to that porch at 75 and I haven't done the things that I truly believe make me happy, I'll be real disappointed in myself. So that's kind of what's what spoils me off.